Hello and you're very welcome to yet another episode of The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is Friday the 26th of January 2024 and it's been a very busy week, so much so that we've loads to talk about. We're going to talk about the RTE's plan in conjunction with the government to put €15 on people's broadband bills, a plan that lasted, I think, Sarah, three days before it was dropped. We'll come to that at the end of the episode. We're also going to talk about Elon Musk uh, talking to Grift this week um, and we're going to talk about the proposal for a COVID inquiry, amongst other things, that will not assign blame to anybody in Ireland for anything that happened. But first, and before I ask Sarah how she was, I want to share a secret with you, which is that on when we're recording this podcast, usually Sarah and I have a conversation earlier on in the day that goes through, you know, what will we talk about? And she mentioned that she wants to talk about the, the Oscars um, and the controversy over the Barbie movie not getting sufficient nominations. And Sarah, I wish I had recorded you. I have never heard you f and blind as much in my life, and I, I, I think we'd I think we'd triple our listenership if we could just play that clip. But before you give us a reprise, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm glad those storms are over. Yeah, they were quite unpleasant. I think I mentioned on the podcast last week that that I enjoyed the cold weather because I walked the dog twice a day. This week was was dog walking was less pleasant. Put it that way. Yeah, I think uh, it was some of the hardest wind I've ever felt in our in my current house here anyway and hmm. uh, felt like the roof was going to lift off anyway so, uh, yeah. we had we had uh, no power cuts down here which was amazing because normally as soon as like you know somebody blows a fan three villages over in their house our power goes out so I don't know what happened in this occasion we were just we were just very lucky um the Oscars there's <laughs> been a controversy this week and for those who don't know the controversy is that there's a movie called Barbie which got an Oscar nomination, but Sarah, the wrong people got nominated. Yeah, the wrong people got nominated. Okay, so where shall I begin on this? Okay, so... Take it I, away. Just uh, yeah, say just, what you said to me on the phone oh, earlier on today. No mental. Just go, well, I'm not allowed effing blind as much. I was so annoyed earlier on. Okay, so it's 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 a perfect... It's a, it's a, it's a perfect storm of absolute nonsense, from in my opinion, right? So Barbie is a film which um, basically is about some something uh, uh, ultimately obviously based on a famous doll that feminists would have been going mental about a few years ago. But now because in the movie she gives a couple of sad speeches about how hard it is to be a woman, it's suddenly some kind of, you know, pillar for the female experience. That's um, what I've always wondered. I'm going to interrupt you. Is Barbie fundamentally not, and I know it's a doll for kids, but in terms of her design, is she not fundamentally like a hypersexualized version of what a woman should look like? Well, that was the, always the case, but that's but that's my point, and this is like part that's a kind of part of the annoyance about this whole storm about the Oscar is that I feel like a lot of people, you know, the the Barbie makes a speech about how hard it is to be a girl, or you have to be this and you have to be that, and that, and then bring on the dumb. Then everyone's manipulated into thinking that Barbie is suddenly a feminist icon when it's really just a marketing team who sat around and tried to figure out how to trick you dumb dumbs into thinking that she's something that she wasn't two years ago, and you fell for it. Hmm. that's the first thing the second thing is so barbie was nominated for an oscar there there, all all my feeds my social media feed was full of women going absolutely ballistic that ken got a nomination for uh, an oscar but barbie didn't first of all right i just I, i have to take a deep breath for starters right frankly and i've only seen clips of the film but i'm going to go out on a limb here and say neither of them deserve an oscar nonsense absolute nonsense right but even if they did like the victimhood 
and the nonsense that people went on with this week about Barbie not being a first of all, can I just say, and I opened up it I, and I opened it up here because I actually like him a lot. Leonardo DiCaprio was a, was an actor for like 20 years minimum. He got nominated for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, The Aviator, Blood Diamond, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Inception. He should have been probably nominated for an Academy Award, in my opinion, for The Departed. But he did not win until The Revenant in 2016. He was nominated multiple, multiple times and he didn't win. And he didn't sit around cribbing and whinging and whining about what a victim he was because he didn't got nom- de- get nominated. He just got on with it and eventually he won an Oscar. So all you hear all week is this crap about, you know, this is exactly example of the patriarchy because the boy got the fake golden statue and we didn't and it's not fair and it just shows that, oh God, honest to God. I looked it up earlier on because I was like, you hear all this about feminism and women and where we're put upon or whatever. Like, I wonder... Like, if you think about what's going on in the world right now, right, it's an absolute shrieking, pardon the pun, shrill, shrieking demonstration of your absolute privilege and entitlement that you think that that's the feminist issue of this week. Well, as we speak right now, there's about three million girls worldwide who are at risk of female genital mutilation. What about the women in Gaza? What about the women who are taken hostage? mass how are they all getting on i bet you none of them give a shit about barbie and an oscar these women need to go outside take a walk have a talk with themselves and get an adult grip of themselves about what's important in the world barbie are you joking is this like honestly god just flood it again just flood it again at this point because i think i might transition into a man because i don't want to be associated with this absolute entitled woke shite that they're all going on with about Barbie. And Hillary Clinton came out and said, girls, don't be upset about Barbie not getting nominated. It's okay. Like, it's, uh, am I the Truman Show? Like, is this a joke? This should be setting me up. Barbie, Barbie. Like, do you know what I mean? Next week, we'll have Mike Tyson on to, for, to talk about how to formulate a loving relationship. Are you guys for real? Like, They've just completely lost their minds. I think the world has just lost their mind. Barbie is just the last draw for me. Stupid movies that are not worthy. Like think, think about people like who've won Oscar, like Academy or Oscars in the past for acting. It's about acting. It's about somebody telling a story through their art that makes a profound statement about who we are and what we should be or whatever. Something. It's not about driving the latest woke agenda. By the way, and it's not even doing that. It's just it was just dreamed up by a marketing marketing uh, team who wanted to rebrand Barbie into something different because what she used to be, which is TNA and a doll that you know supposedly at one point was showing a horrific body image for women, now she's going to be an icon because that's what's more trendy today. Like this is about that, and the girls all fall for it. They go on their social medias, and they like put down what they're like you know avocado and scrambled eggs and they talk about how put upon they are this week by barbie not getting awarded an oscar get a grip honestly it's time to uh, adult up leave your eight-year-old feelings behind and just get a human grip of yourself and find something worthwhile to talk about if you're going to be if you want to talk about stuff with women because this isn't it sorry i tried i I don't think i'd said the f word at all that time no you didn't but i mean I, i i if i was a woman and i am not Thank heavens. But if I was, I'd be more annoyed at the fact that Judy Dench 
has received, I think, like seven nominations for an Academy Award and only won once. Then I would really? be with Mar- Margaret Robbie. Yeah, Judy Dench. But, like Mar- Margaret Robbie was very good in the World Wolf of Wall Street. It, like it, it's 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 perfect. It's all you're all being calm. It's set up to be this thing where, you know, if she wins, it's it's a win for women, and if she loses, it's an example of the patriarchy. It's none of it. It's just a stupid film about a dog. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Did you like, watch the film? No, I watched, I, I literally went on and searched clips of it so that I could see the main, you know, because I didn't want to be speaking like kind of completely on. So she gives um, America Ferreira, I think is the actress's name. And she gives a speech about this thing about how hard it is to be a woman because you can be pretty, but not too pretty. And you can be skinny, but you have to pretend you don't want to. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those things are true. But like, so what? It's the, you, like it goes back to my point about Leonardo DiCaprio. Imagine if Leonardo DiCaprio, when he didn't win in 2007 and 2005 and 2000, 1994 and whatever, time after time after time getting nominated, came out and said, this is because I'm X or it's just a victim. It's a culture that's just addicted to victimhood. Sometimes you don't win because you just weren't as good as the other person. Sometimes like life's not all about you and you know what I mean and maybe you're not entitled to feel outraged that you didn't win about a stupid film about a doll well the funny thing for me about that sort of that sort of speech you're talking about where where like you know to be a woman you have to be thin but not too thin and you have to you know starve yourself but pretend you love food and all that kind of nonsense it's not John most of the time for who for other women uh, yes but also it's only to be a certain kind of woman it, yeah. It's only it's only if you want to be an influencer or an actress or have uh, you know the the right kind of men falling at your feet. Um, it's not true of most women. But also, I don't think I'm not a man. But I'm a man. Sorry, I am a man. But I I, I I don't think that's true of most women at all. Um, it's a self. It's a it's a it's 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 this is what you have to do if you want to be in the top one percent of in, Instagram influencers, and that is kind of taken as this is how hard it is to be a woman. No, it's not. But it, like me saying it's really hard to be the rock. Yeah. But it's also kind of like it's so it's such a limited view. You know, there there is this thing of like you have to be pretty or stupid and you can't be both and whatever. Just like what I'd love to hear a bit more about is the women who just keep on keeping on like an example that never really makes the like doesn't get talked about that much. Gets talked about a little bit, but not as much. It's like George Clooney was the most eligible bachelor probably in the world, right? And uh, I love that George Clooney married, she's very beautiful, but like a very, very, very established human rights lawyer. I love that for him. That that was a that was amazing. Good for him. Like he could have had anyone and he he selected a really intelligent, really successful woman or whatever. Like there's loads of women who just get on with their lives. They don't feel like victims. They go out, they become a lawyer. They're probably subjected to some sexism. They go, okay, they get on with it. And they marry George Clooney. Like, good for them. I'd love to hear more about that. Like, every, not everything is a demonstration of how the world wants to, you know, kill you or put up, you know, or take more, or earn more money than you or whatever. And, you know, I just, I've said this before on the podcast, like, I just, I don't, I, I think you, you succumb to a, an addiction to victimhood and you see the world through that prism in every single thing you do whether it's when you walk down the street and someone says you're looking well to when Barbie doesn't get an Oscar if you see everything through the prism of that victimhood well first of all you're just you're signing up to be miserable and second of all it's not true that's not true 
Like not everybody is is against you. Not everything is sexist. Not everything is the patriarchy. It's not been my experience as a 40-year-old woman. Of course, there's bad everywhere and there's this and there's that, whatever. But I don't want to go around. I don't want to raise my daughter to be like them. You see, when you're in school, they're going to treat you different. And you see, when you don't get the promotion, it's because you're a woman. And you see, when that man looks at you that way, it's because he wants to murder you. And you see this. No, I don't want to raise my daughter like that. That's. I don't think that's the reality of the world. No. I, I'll be I'll be honest. I didn't uh, pay as much attention to this this week as you did because I I just kind of tune it out. It's yeah. I find it to be a kind of low permanent drone in the background of the global conversation for yeah. the whinging of middle class liberal women. Yeah, and I, I I'm sorry if that makes me sound like a misogynist, but it's constant. It well, but I I am a woman, so I like, and I'm saying I find it like that, and that's my point about um. I can't. Uh, I can't remember George Clooney's wife's name, but like that's my I'm, example. I know her Amal, first name is Amal, Amal Clooney, and there is a woman like there's no droning there. She's just getting on with like loads of women are really successful and really have done really well for themselves. And this drone of like, do you know what I mean? Like Mal Clooney doesn't care about Barbie. Because she's got bigger things. She's a human rights lawyer who, as I said, is probably out. I don't know what her cases are about, but like, you know, out there talking about things like female genital mutilation, as I said, three million people. Why is that not important? And this is the other thing, John. And I did say this on my ranty on the phone earlier on. I guarantee you next week when the six foot two hairy man wants to wear a bad wig and a G-string in the local changing room, these women will all be silent. But Barbie is the female issue of our time. Yeah, sure, girls, get a grip. I was taken and we by I was reading the Irish Times today as I read every day so I'm an Irish Times reader Sarah every day without <laughs> fail and um, they had this they do this thing every week called the women's podcast now I don't listen to it but they do a written summary of it and this week's interview is with a with an author called Kathy Sweeney who's written a book called Breakdown and the you know apparently it got a really good review on the Irish Times women's podcast and the the the, the sort of basic plot of this book is a, a middle-class, middle-aged Dublin woman, not dissimilar to yourself, who just one day decides she's had enough and gets in her car and drives to the ferry port. I love that my recent, my, my, my rant today is, is, has reminded you of this plot, go on. Yes. Um, she drives down to Ross Lair, she gets on a ferry and she never looks back. She just leaves her husband and her kids behind and goes off and lives a whole new life. And apparently this is a tale of female empowerment. I was thinking, no, it's not. That person is a villain. You don't just abandon your husband and kids, whatever with your husband. All the men, all the men who've ever done that are definitely considered villains. They are. If if if, if a man did that, he wouldn't be considered to be empowered. Um, but apparently, this is a this is a kind of a fantasy of female empowerment. But if, if a man did that, you would be uh, you'd be considered a, a disgrace, rightly so. Anyway, we need to talk about other things on this podcast, and I want to talk about something that annoyed me. Go. But didn't it didn't actually didn't annoy me. It amused me. Um, because I, I, there's just no point getting news anymore, which is that we are going to spend a lot of money, Sarah, in this country on a COVID inquiry it has been announced today. We're going to get to the bottom of everything, but it's going to be on a no-blame basis. Oh, I laughed. I, I, I literally laughed aloud when I said no blame. That is the funniest thing I've read in a while. Not in, They're not intending to be funny, but it's so funny. What on earth is the point of having a tribunal that has a purpose of no blame? What's What's the point of the tribunal then? I mean, it strikes me that the problem when you say there'd be no blame is that the, 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 the findings of the tribunal are already fixed because if you can't blame anybody for problems, then you can't really identify that there were problems. Because if you identify that there were problems and you identify no blame, then everyone else will try and find the person who's, who's to blame and they will be blamed. 
<laughs> so so it's it's got to be a kind of the, the the outcome of the the inquiry if it's no blame has got to be well everything was done perfect but there's a few things we could have done a little bit better that's that's the most you can say because if you go down the road of there being no blame that means there's no accountability and if you can, if you can't assign accountability then it's really difficult to even go down the road of saying well this was done wrong because if you but say then I go further is that you and I could write the review we could write the report of that tribunal could, yeah. now like I, right I, now. I definitely write the executive summary the first yeah. 12 paragraphs I prompt mark this down listeners the first 10 to 12 to 13 paragraphs of the executive summary of this review when it comes out will be about what a wonderful job Ireland did in comparison to other countries they'll use the most cherry picked stats they can but that will be and Ireland was wonderfully successful by comparison to peer countries and blah 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 that, that would be the the conclusion and that would be what RTE News report um, and the no blame thing I mean it's 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 just a fascinating mindset. Um and I mean they will officially justify it. Their official justification will be well if you start blaming people then people might be cautious in the next crisis in case they get blamed. But yes. That 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 is the objective. The the objective here is that if you have if you are given and bear, people forget this. The Irish government took emergency powers uh during the referendum during the, during the referendum during the pandemic. They took emergency powers to enable them effectively to suspend people's civil liberties. And now they are afraid that it might be uncovered that those powers were abused or not used in the way that they should have been. And they think this is a bad thing because in case the next time they need to take emergency powers, people might start looking over their shoulder. I'm sorry, but in a democracy, we should always want people in power, particularly those with emergency powers, looking over their shoulder in a little bit of fear that you know, if they abuse these powers, there might be, or, or if they're incompetent, there might actually be some consequences for them down the line. Whereas our government is setting the precedent that you can effectively be the person who makes a decision, for argument's sake, wrongly, to shutter old people in nursing homes um, at the height of the pandemic um, and start moving sick patients back into nursing homes which could theoretically have resulted in loads and loads of deaths early in the pandemic. And no one is going to hold you to account for that because we have a no-blame culture. I'm sorry, if you, if, if you did that at any other elements of, of the public service, if, the, if a similar catastrophe unfolded in the health service in normal times, there definitely wouldn't be no blame. It is a joke. It's a joke. And I mean, people should be angry about it. Not about what happened in the pandemic, not even about about the 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 you know, the potential findings of the inquiry. They should be angry that the government is is so concerned with self-preservation for themselves and for civil servants that they will pre- preactively pardon everybody of any offence they may have committed. It's a joke. That's what I think. But, and also, I mean, and, 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 and we've had comments on this podcast from people who were, you know, if memory serves, a little bit upset with me anyway, for being a little bit, going a bit easy on the government in terms of their COVID responses in, like I think particularly in the first lockdown or whatever, I don't blame them for what, you know, for the decisions they make. So I'm not, I'm not completely predisposed to the idea that everything they did was wrong, is what I'm saying. Um, But I, what I, but I, what I have, have huge issue with is the cost of a kind of a carnival of nonsense to say it was done, to tick a box because England did it and now we better do it too. That has a pre or de- a pre um pre-decided outcome 
and is a complete waste of money. Well, I know what the title of our podcast is going to be. This week's going to be Carnival of Nonsense. That's, <laughs> a, that's a very good way of describing it. Um, I, I mean... Well, bring in, bring in, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I say about like these kind of things, like the circus never travels alone. So like this will be a carnival of of person after person of nonsense, wasting time, wasting money for something that you and I could write right now. Like don't bother doing it. And like also the lack of self-awareness to come out and say the approach would be no blame. That 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 everybody accepts that, that that, you know, that that washes. Think of previous tribunals that have happened in this country and imagine somebody had come out and said the approach we're going to take is no blame. What's the point? Yeah, well, this isn't even going to rise to the level of the tribunal. And I, I, it's yet to be revealed whether there will even be public hearings or whether it'll be a behind-closed-doors exercise with a, with, a, with a report published at a later date. Oh, well, I mean, like... Or, or who is going to be conducting it, whether it'll be whether some big four consultancy firm is going to get a, a nice contract to write a report. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just so depressing. I mean, because... One of the things that we're not going to do in this country, and I think we have determined, as I haven't determined, but as a society we have determined that we're not going to do, is wrestle or come to terms with the negative impacts. So we have at the moment, and this is just a statement of fact, we have one of the most elevated rates of excess deaths in Western Europe. Um, there are still people dying at, at, at a rate statistically higher than they were before the pandemic. Now, there are people who listen to this podcast who are convinced that there are pharmaceutical reasons for that. Uh, I'm not convinced of that, but I am convinced that you know when you so shut. What, down, do you think, what do you think is the reason, or do you I, have it? I think when you shut down, for example, cancer screening for basically two years, mm-hmm. you are going to have people whose cancers would otherwise have been detected at an earlier stage that will not then be detected to to their at stage three, stage four, stage whatever. Yeah. Their lives. I I I am aware of at least two cases of elderly people I know who died. Um, after the lockdown was over, who for whom I would say the COVID lockdowns were devastating in their impact. Yeah, yeah, devastating in their impact on them in terms of, in terms of a, a lack of socialization. In, in in one case, definitely a lack of going to the doctor, uh, where I, something that was very serious was not caught and, and could have been caught and was caught earlier on. Mm. Um, I am aware in in the part of rural Ireland where I live of elderly people who have you know, never really gotten back into socialising. I think if you talk to any yeah. Catholic priest in the country, yeah. in, in pretty in rural parishes, they'll say that church attendance has never recovered. There are still old people who don't go out. There, 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 there were devastating impacts on people's quality of life that were inflicted by the government. And, for, yeah, and there was for, for weird a very things. questionable return. Yeah, there was weird things. Like in one thing I remember being really staggered by in my personal experience was, so I, as you know, had my daughter Olivia in March of 2022 so it was obviously kind of after covid but still like some uh visitor restrictions in hollis street and stuff like that and um she was premature by roughly around six weeks um five five and a bit and um she was in the nicu in hollis street for um a week and a half and i was up and down and in and out of the nicu and um i was chatting to one of the nurses one day and i said um uh, oh like this must have been a really strange place during COVID, like when there was a lockdown, because like in this situation, because some of the restrictions had been lifted, myself and Keith were able to go to the NICU. 
But before, it wouldn't have been like that at all. Like it would have been one, Keith wouldn't have been, he would have been allowed maybe be there for the birth and then that was kind of it or one hour, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I said, it must have been so strange like to have all these babies here with nobody, you know, no, nobody able to come up or only one person able to come up or whatever. And the midwife or the nurse who worked in NICU said to me, um, oh, yeah, but sure, like we didn't have um, half as many babies here during COVID lockdowns. And uh, I was like, like why though because like surely everyone was still having babies and she said yeah but in COVID lockdowns um women who you know like a lot of the time a huge amount of the time like women who go into premature labor and have a premature baby go in because they're stressed and you know for whatever reason and because everyone was in lockdown and they stayed at home they didn't so there wasn't that many babies here and like obviously that's a good thing in a way but my point is that like there was all these weird consequences of things, things you wouldn't even think of, things that wouldn't even occur to you. Like some in that sense, OK, I suppose it's better that more women didn't go into premature labor. But like, you know, the, we've never really had a real conversation about the consequences of things like the real consequences. There was some talk of, of you know, elevated domestic violence and and, you know, think like Really, really poor outcome or experiences for children who are left at home for long periods of time in bad situations. But we never really had an honest conversation about what the human impact of this was outside of the obvious things. Do you know what I mean? Who was it? Who was it? Yeah. I, I, sorry, you say that I'm thinking of education. I mean, because my wife um, busted her ass trying to teach classes from home over the internet, which was incredibly difficult. Because, you know, if a student is slacking, there's nothing you can do if they're just, like, not tuning into a Zoom meeting. What can you do? Yeah. Um, but also, there were, uh, a fair is fair, there were undoubtedly other students who wanted to work who had teachers who weren't working as hard as my wife was. Yeah. And uh, people's education standards suffered. Ever since COVID, uh, and they quite openly said they dumbed down the Leaving Cert and the Junior Cert during COVID. They've mm -hmm. continued to do so, so it's had a permanent, permanent impact on the quality of education and exams in the country. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these impacts won't be felt for another five, ten years. So to say that we're going to have a sort of no-blame general inquiry, which won't even touch on the the long-lasting impacts of this thing, it just says to me that we have a political class who are determined to pretend the whole thing never happened. And what did happen was great. And aren't we the best boys in Europe? And didn't we all do well? Clap ourselves in the back. Isn't Ireland great? Not like those Brits. But that, then, at least have, but then at least have the balls to say we're not having a covenant. We're not going to have an inquiry. Anyway, like we're, we're not. Ha we're not going to spend the money on that. Thanks. Well, we are, and we'll cover it on this podcast as it's going on uh, for the next while. Anyway, it's a busy week, and there's lots more stuff to talk about, um, including the 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 referendums and the referendum commission. But before we get into that, you wanted to mention the case of a woman in the UK who committed some thought crime and was finally acquitted for it this week. Yeah. So. Uh, well, she won her tribunal over, uh, she took a case. So basically, it's interesting for people who listen to our podcast because it's kind of a, another one in a series of cases, tribunals, unfair dismissal acts that are being taken by people who've been fired for having what I would call gender critical views, right? So, um, and, and for those who don't know, gender critical views mean means that you believe there are two sexes, women have vaginas, men have penises, and that's it. That's the end of the story, right? Fair summary yeah. of gender. Yeah, fair enough. Controversial. Um, so Joe Phoenix, the professor, um, she was a professor of criminology, um, and she has won an unfair dismissal claim against the Open University. And so 
she is a lesbian um she set up the gender critical research network um at the open university and basically she was dismissed she was referred to by her employer as the racist uncle at the christmas table and um basically this week the tribunal has found that um she that the racist uncle comment had been made it amounted to harassment um and it was all based on the fact that joe phoenix had signed a letter in the sunday times that um basically you know expressed her gender critical beliefs and uh, she was it was supposed to be a witch hunt and she basically was told off for expressing these beliefs um, she was likened to a racist and she's won her claim and there's been a series of these claims and I think it's in, uh, of these kind of wins and I think it's really interesting because I think it's showing a bit of a shift in the kind of you know just a, a very slight shift I mean there's a lot of people who've lost their jobs for but it's just a slight shift in that when it actually comes down to it you can't fire people for having these views not yet well, anyway well in the UK well in the UK but I mean, I would be cautiously optimistic that that would follow here eventually. Now, notwithstanding the proposed hate speech laws that we're talking about implementing and all that. But um, like it's 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 put it this way. It's a it's a it's a it's a slight comfort, you know, like these people's career. They're winning. She's won her unfair dismissal. The tribunal has found that she was unfairly dismissed for expressing these views. And I think that that's a win. That's. That's a positive thing. You know, the world hasn't gone fully mad. Yeah, except I am. Um, I keep coming back to this in the UK business because I think that the one of the most pernicious aspects of Irish culture, uh, when I say Irish culture, I mean sort of the attitudes of Irish elites is this kind of like, this vision of the UK as everything we shouldn't be. And the fact that, that the women in the UK are winning these cases actually makes me fearful for women in Ireland. Uh, who expressed these views. Because as you, you mentioned the hate speech bill there, the hate speech bill includes, obviously, if it, it's not on the statute books yet, thank God, but should it ever get onto the statute books, it includes protection for gender identity as one of the one of the grounds um, which you, one of the protected characteristics you may not offend. Um, and, and the only reasonable interpretation of that is that if my gender identity is that I decide tomorrow that I'm Joanna, a woman, uh, and you say to me, no, you're John, a man, you have a dick, you're a man, then I, I can sue you for um, or, or, or seek your prosecution on grounds of hate speech. Yeah. Because you will have offended, you have spoken hatefully against my gender identity. So I'm not I'm, I'm not as, as cheered by you about the fact that these things are developing in the UK, knowing what I do about this country's attitude to developments in the UK generally. Um, I, I think we are, we are, we are still miles behind I mean, there are groups out there like the Countess who are doing phenomenal work on in this area, and we've had Leisha De Bruno yeah. on the show, obviously. But yeah. I think we're still miles behind having kind of an organized, an organized movement to combat it. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm still very worried, and, and I, I don't think. And here's where I'll kind of segue into referendum discussion. I think it's a huge mistake to remove the word "women" from the constitution. I agree, um, uh, because it, you know it's. It's so important that the Constitution recognizes there, that there are two genders. Um, and if you take that out, I mean, we, we had, and people forget that in this country, less than 18 months ago, we had uh, Regina Doherty, who was then serving as the leader of Shannon Aaron, go to a Scottish parliament and announce that there are at least, not, not, not 
not only at least nine genders that we recognize nine um now i don't know where they're recognizing irish law but regina doherty insists that there are at least nine now that we recognize um this stuff is is still deeply embedded. I mean, we, I saw Mark Tighe and others have. Do you think? In- sorry, do you think that Regina Darty, for example, when she goes home to bed that night and lies, put her puts her head down in the pillow, do you think she believes that, or do you think some woke, you know, like researcher in her department or wherever it was at the time, you know, printed off a lot of stuff and she just read it out? I think Regina Darty is a kind of politician who's existed in this country for all of time, in that. Whatever the national orthodoxy is, she will hew to it um, as closely as she possibly can. Uh, it would not surprise me were one to transport Regina Doherty back in time to somewhere around 1950 and give her a broad sense of the lie of the land and put her in the exact same position. Uh, it would not surprise me where she start giving speeches about the dangers of illegitimacy and bastardage. Oh, I mean, 100 percent. And there's, a, there's the amount of politicians and journalists today that I often think about their kind of, you know, their new, their secular blasphemy. In other words, that they look back and go, do you remember those terrible times when people, you know, they'd they'd, they'd decide that this woman had done something immoral and they'd cast her out because she didn't adhere to the Catholic principles. Now, who are we going to cancel today who's not adhering to our new woke principles? It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the journalists, some, I'm not going to personalise it, but there's a couple of them in particular that I think you're just the sister Mary, whatever of the of the year. The, the thing you talk about despising, the thing you feel you actively feel so morally superior to, you're it. Mm. That's you. You're the oh, let's cancel Kevin Myers and let's cancel this person because they've deigned to f- not follow this very well thought out ideological script that we've decided they should stick to. And if they don't stick to our rules and our script and our book. We get, we get rid of them. We excommunicate them. I mean, come on. There's a certain emptiness to it. It goes back to your 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 rant at the opening of the show about Barbie and you mentioned Hillary Clinton's tweet. And when you mentioned Hillary Clinton's tweet, I, I was just thinking, I bet all the money in my pocket right now, which is more than five euros and less than 50. <laughs> but um, that Hillary Clinton has never seen the Barbie movie. I would nearly bet my house on it. Um, but you know, also, it's, but but also, John. The other thing is, it's just it's the shameless hypocrisy. Like, if you go back, like you don't even have to go back multiple generations and pick different people and compare Hillary to them. Hillary is a woman who stood up when women talked about, made accusations about her husband and ridiculed those women publicly. Mm-hmm. Barbie is the least of her feminist problems. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, but they all forget. They all forget because as long as you follow the new script, you're one of us. Mm-hmm. You better believe that if there was a Republican president, they'd be they'd be digging up things that his wife had said long, long, long years ago and applying it to today and using it. But they all conveniently forget everything Hillary did in the past. What I remember, I remember her in 1993 saying, because the first time I ever heard of Tammy Wynette was when Hillary Clinton said that she wasn't going to be like Tammy Wynette standing by her man. And then she then she made yeah. Tammy Wynette look like a, a trollop with the degree of loyalty she displayed to her husband. When it was obvious that he didn't deserve it, um. So, so yeah. She anyway. publicly. She also public women who had made accusations about her husband. She publicly annihilated those women. And, and I'm sorry, but you know, it's it's just a good example of how we conveniently forget people as long as they, they as long as they're in tune with the new agenda and they 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 step into line with everything today. It doesn't matter what they did in the past. Mm-mm. Yes. 
Exactly. And I think Regina Doherty is in the, is 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 uh obviously she hasn't to my knowledge vilified any women or anything like that, but I think she's in the sim- a similar space. Anyway, she says there's nine genders now. The government um I mean, Ben Scallon has infamously asked on a number of occasions how many genders there are. He's never yet gotten a straight answer out of any government ministry. Or what, uh, a woman, or what is a woman. Or what is a woman, or any of this sort of stuff. And now we're removing wor- the word women from the Constitution. And yeah, so I'm not as optimistic as, as you are. I, I think this is going one direction in the UK, but we still the pendulum is still swinging in the other direction here. Um, and, and we have a live legal threat that it may soon be hateful to say the honest biological truth, which is that there are two sexes, two genders. There is no real difference between them. Gender identity is a myth. You know, I, I read I read a very powerful quote this week in the from somebody who had transitioned um, or attempted transition in the UK and mm. then decided that they weren't going to do it, where he basically said, look, it, it, for me, uh, he's speaking personally, he wasn't speaking for everybody. He said, look, this was a form of mental illness. And I was trying to kill myself without dying. Oh, I saw this. Mm. Yeah, Uh, so sad. uh, But I thought it was a very powerful phrase to describe what transitioning is. The destruction of your former self um, without dying. And it's not a coincidence, I think, that it comes with so many physically harmful and physically destructive um, things, like getting bits of yourself chopped off and so on and so forth. So it's... Anyway, we're not going to talk about transgenderism at length, but yeah, I, I think I think it, it's very powerful. But I also think it, it is an issue that's connected to these referendums because we're being asked to redefine the family, redefine the word woman, um, and the electoral commission, Sarah, who are responsible for sort of the truth and establishing what is fact. We're asked today being about being unbiased. You know, they don't they don't have a position, right? Apparently um, so. They were asked today about this this phrase that's going into the Constitution, um, other durable relationships. And they're asked, what does it mean? And and the answer was fascinating in that they basically said that it could mean something like you have a durable relationship if you get a Christmas card together as a couple or if you get uh, or if you get invited to things that will prove that you're together, you're seen as being together, you know, your relationship is recognized. That could be what the courts talk about. But so like I, an interview for a green card? like Yeah, I am emphasizing the word could um, because that's what they said. Could be. I mean, they don't know. The Electoral Commission doesn't seem to know exactly what it means. They didn't say this will be what it is. This is this is what it means. They said this is how it could be interpreted by the courts. This is one possible way. And, and it just strikes me, the irresponsibility of the government sticking something into the Constitution that they can't define and that the Electoral Commission, which is headed by a judge, can't certainly define uh, and and the fact that they're, uh, I mean, there seems to be, Progressive Ireland seems to have decided that, well, the constitution needs to change and the NGOs have been pushing for this change for a long time. And uh, you know, I don't know if it'll pass, but we better line up behind it. And no one is stopping to say about the irresponsibility of the government inserting something into the constitution that they cannot define. They can't actually tell you what it means. It's just better than whatever old Catholic guff is in there now. It, it'd be laughable if it wasn't so serious. It's also so regressive, really, because, you know, like as human beings, we have like evolved over hundreds of millions of years or whatever. And uh, but um, we, you know, we we have organized ourselves in certain ways and put structures around things that are inherently difficult to define. And one of them is relationships like, you know, you're we're both like 
nearly the same age. Like the relationships are complicated. You know, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast has aware whether it's been themselves or someone they know who's been in a relationship or one person in the relationship thinks it's a lot more serious than the other and so on and so forth. And so the structure that we put around that to establish whether or not something was one way or the other was marriage. That's the idea behind it is to put a, a, a kind of a legal framework around something so that it can be understood, so that it can be defined, so that it can can be, you know, can, so that one relationship can be compared or not compared to another. And this theoretically opens that all up again. And it's, I saw a, 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 a guy, a podcaster, it was a kind of a video a while ago of this guy, and I can't remember who he was, but he was ranting it. And it was really funny, but like, not funny, not funny, haha, but he was ranting and raving about how furious he is that human beings who were, you know, that the that there was this line of progress, you know, like if you go back to like with different revolutions and and and, and different periods in human, uh, in human, the history of humankind, and people have, you know, there's been this progress, and and then in the last like thirty year, if in the last hundred years, it's been absolutely like massive progress like technology and everything and like just like the speed at which we've advanced and then he was ranting and raving about how furious he is that it seems to have stalled in the last 10 years and then we started having these kind of like navel gazing nonsense conversations going rehashing over nonsense stuff that was that was that we've already sorted out long time ago and 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 I think this is kind of an example of that in that are we now going back to like let's spend five years all wasting all of our collective energies and time on trying to now redefine what a relationship is when we already did that ages ago and we've got bigger things to be worried about right now I mean I thought the planet was burning but now let's spend a load of time on figuring out whether you know Mary and Paddy and Jack and Jean can all be in a in a in a relationship together, and what that means for tax and inheritance and 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 what a waste of time. But the other thing is, do you know that? And like this is something nobody's talked about at all. The word relationships isn't even defined. Which yeah. everyone's focusing on the durable part, but the word relationships isn't even defined. It's not even defined as romantic relationships. Now, yeah. I was thinking about this uh, today. You and I, for, for example, and, and, and indeed me and many other people, and you and many other people, we've, we've known each other for a decade. We are very, very close, um, yeah. as everyone knows. We are, we are really good friends. We, we are in a durable relationship, you and I. Yeah. Um, by the, the strict definition of the, of the term, a, a relationship is not automatically defined as romantic in the Constitution. Like, if, if this referendum passes, we are putting this nonsense phrase into the constitution that nobody is nobody can honestly say what it means as you yeah. said last week i'm also in a durable relationship with my dog like yeah. it, it hasn't even been and I, I said on twitter today it was somebody was saying i think it was was um former irish times journalist was saying oh this stuff about polygamy is nonsense you know it's clearly it's clearly uh committed um relationships you know of two people and I said, well no because then, they, then, 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 says, then says who? Then they could have said other durable monogamous relationships. They could have they could have put in extra words if they wanted to limit it or define it. But it's 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 literally unlimited. And if anyone underestimates the ability of courts to define things in the widest possible way, then they've never spent as much as two minutes studying the law. Um, it's 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 just beyond. I, I think I think that referendum is amongst the most irresponsible thing that I've ever seen in Irish. 
government proposed. And uh, while I think a lot of people think it'll be defeated, it'll be a close run thing if it is. Um, because I'm actually quite surprised at the amount of people who are telling me they're voting now and the different reasons. I think that the two Michael McDill articles that he written, wrote were catastrophic for these referendums. Yeah, that's true. But I think there's an awful lot of people who are still captured by the sort of progressive spell of, you know, all the all the political parties are for this, all the NGOs are for it, the National Women's Council is for it. And uh, they look at that. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in this country who just vote on things based on who's for it and who's against it. And they look around and they'll see poor old David Quinn saying he's opposed to it and they'll, they'll conclude this is another sort of modernizing <laughs> Catholicism thing and they'll vote yes. But if you're voting yes to have the word woman removed from the constitution because you honestly believe the dog food you're being fed, which is that it stopped you as a woman from actually being able to do anything in your life since the moment you were born until today. Well, then, like, I don't know what I can say to you. Maybe go and set up a petition to have the Oscars picketed because of Barbie. Well, there's another thing I think we'll be talking about uh, in the weeks to come. But uh, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm, 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 Fla- I, I, I'm. It feels like every week goes past. I'm flabbergasted even I know, yeah. I know. by the irresponsibility of the people running the country. Not even the incompetence, the sheer feckless irresponsibility. Um, and somebody else who's flabbergasted by that is Elon Musk. Who this uh, was great, John. Though, come on, this was a coup. I got messages from loads of people saying, "Oh my God, is it? Is like, is it? Has Elon Musk actually done an interview with Grift?" Somebody and said, some of them were like, this is amazing, like, wow, congratulations to everyone at Grift. And then some people who are a bit more on the, you know, mainstream media side were absolutely thumping. <laughs> and uh, I got one 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 message from a sceptic who suggested that we had actually um, done an AI voiceover of pretending it was Elon Musk. Um, and I was like, yeah, yes, you know, we are many things, but we're not suicidal. Yeah. Because I think that might have come to light when Elon Musk heard about it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, it, I, I just have to say full full credit to Ben Scallon. He made that happen. I mean, uh, I, without going into the, the the gory details, he he chased that down. He he made it happen. Um, there were times when I thought he was wasting his time a little bit, being honest, and I and I told him so. And but Ben is one thing about Ben is he's the most when he really wants to do something, he perseveres like no one ever. Yeah, heard. he does. Um, and there was no, there was no, there was no, um. No stopping him. So it was great. Um, and I thought actually uh, that it was it was it was a really important interview because he, nobody in Ireland had previously heard Musk being able to directly respond to the stuff that the Irish government had been saying about him. Yeah. Um, and he he I thought he was he was very clear, and he has a, whatever else you might say about him, and I don't agree with him on everything. And I, I think I think some of the things he's done X have been great, and some of the things have been frankly regressive. Luckily, you're really rare, John, in the sense that you're actually able to comprehend talking to and about people that you don't agree with 100% of what they say. Mm. What a novel concept in this day and age. Yes, sir, I did want Ben to ask him about all those, those porn bots that keep showing up in my feed, but, but sorry, <laughs> Ben got to that one. But anyway, um, the I, you know he is somebody who, who has genuinely taken a stand for freedom of speech in its most raw and unfit, unfiltered form. Which yeah. is people can say what they think, and and a lot of people have said, for example, well, oh, that has led to an increase in, for example, anti-Semitism on X. And my response to that is good, not because anti-Semitism is a good thing, or not because racism is a good thing, or not because any of these kind of horrible ideologies that 
crop up or a good thing. You're a shell for Israel anyways. We know. I, oh, oh, that is true. That is true. Pocketing the shekels um, is well known. But the I think we need, I think it is instructive to bring these things into the open and see how widespread they are. Because don't pretend that they weren't there before <laughs> before Elon Musk took over X. They've always been there. It's just that it's just that you, you drive them underground and they're festering. And then suddenly when they're let loose, you see how widespread they actually are. So I I, I, I don't have a particular problem with it, I have to say. Plus, oh, yeah. I mean, I think, but like, this is the thing about the about lots of this stuff. I mean, I think that like sunlight kills a lot of stuff and a lot of people, if they if they have, you know, that a lot of these views should be, you know, thrown out onto the stoop and let the sunlight shine on it. Um, and I think that like, that's important. And, you know, if you're, if you're in favor of free speech, you know, what gets thrown at you all the time is, well, this, this, and this, and do you agree with this? It's nothing to do whether I agree with what, with what somebody is saying that I might think is is horrible, you know. But like, you know, part of life is that you have to listen to things you don't like. And one of the issues that I have with, you know, the hate speech bill and and, and people always give you these examples, and the examples that they give you are nearly always already covered by existing laws like incitement to hate hatred. What is the crime that is happening right now that isn't prosecutable that will be under this law? And I've never been able to hear somebody give me a good example. Very true. So, and by the way, if you're listening and you have one, by all means, send it in because I'd love to hear, uh, you know, apart from somebody's feelings being hurt, what hate speech, you know, what 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 does these do these laws cover that 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 will now allow the police to prosecute somebody that should be prosecuted that didn't before? But I think. A lot of like the well, first of all, I think that Elon Musk doing an interview on Grift was surprisingly unreported elsewhere. Do you agree? I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> John McManus, John McManus covered it in today's Irish Times with what I have to say, you know, was a fair dose of salt. He, he, sounded, kind of, he sounded a little bit bitter, I have to say. I don't want to get into all of that, but look, the, the other me other news outlets can do what they what they want. Um, I, I know how many people listened to that interview. I know the value people took from it. Um, I know how happy people were to hear it. Uh, and I have to say as well that the one thing I'm also very proud of is that, that it wasn't a sycophantic interview. Like Ben did ask him questions that he he put a lot of the concerns of the so-called mainstream to Musk about the yeah, yeah. About the explosion of, of alleged hate on his platform and misinformation in relation to Ukraine and Gaza and all these things. He put those things to Musk and we heard his answers. Yeah, so like it wasn't, wasn't fanboyish. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so uh, you know, I, I, I think it was a really important piece of journalism and uh, and, and obviously pleased that we got that interview. But, you know, uh, the, the, the rest of the media can make of it what they will. Um, but, yeah, the, the, look, I think the more significant thing is that here is somebody who's a very prominent international person in business, one of the if one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest man in the world, one of the great innovators in terms of um, green technology and all the rest of it, saying things that Irish people just don't hear from yeah. their, their so-called leader, like his conviction, for example, that farming should be left alone, that farming is not making any, any, any meaningful impact on the global climate. And that it is a waste of time going after farmers. I think it's really important that that message, um, the fact that it's coming from somebody like him, that that message be heard. Um, and it simply wouldn't have been heard um, if it was left to RTE, for example, to report it. Um, so, so in that sense, I think it was really important to get him on. And yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much because 
sounds like I'm, I'm bragging, but it was really all Ben, and it was a, it was a great moment for the team, I have to say. Yeah. Any, anyway, um, that reminds me, we do need people to subscribe to us, Sarah, to, to pay our wages and keep the door open and allow us to keep doing these things, because unlike 40E, the government is not proposing to charge people 15 euro a month for their broadband to pay for grit. Like, so, as I said to you when we discussed this earlier on, I know somebody, more than one person, but one person in particular uh, close to me who, for a long period of time, for financial reasons, just didn't have any wireless uh, internet in their house because they couldn't afford the bill. And so I think that there's a kind of a, a real lack of awareness that 15 euro a month extra on top of that bill for people is a lot of money. I am in the the relatively privileged position of being able to pay my bills mm. uh, and and go on holiday a couple of times a year and so on and so forth. Like a, a, a decent middle class life, not a millionaire by even a fraction of possibility, but like I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a more comfortable than an awful lot of people in this country. And when my first reaction when I heard that 15 euro a month on your broadband bill was priced, that's expensive. Like, because I, I don't know what my, off the top of my head, what my broadband bill is every month, but I'm in rural Ireland, so I think it's something like 80 quid or something. And that yeah, would have jacked it up to, to nearly 100 quid a month for broadband. And then to learn that the money was going directly into the pockets of RTE, which I never watch. But that's the other thing that's really cynical about it, which is that, you know, it's it's not, it's it's the kind of a sneaky thing, which is, let's pretend we're changing the, the basic model, but really we're just, we've realised that so many of you stopped paying the TV licence in the light of a number of scandals in RTE last year. We can't really do anything about that. We can't t- send you all to prison. So we'll just change the model so that we can take it without your without you being able to do anything about it. And I think that that's really cynical. I mean, we hear about, you know, the the referendums being described as like, we'll be able to have a conversation about this and a conversation about that. Let's start a conversation. Let's start a conversation, a real conversation about whether the public actually, what the public actually want to pay for in terms of TV licence. But no, let's just add 15 euro onto your wires. Like, come on. We should say we should say that the position at the end of the week, this was floated in last week's Sunday Business yeah. Post. Oh, yeah. The position at the end of the week now is that the government are not going to do that and they're going to stick with the TV licence for one more year at least, which I think is an admission of defeat um, on the fact that something like this was just not a political runner. Uh, and that, I think, is a demonstration of the weakness of RTE's position with the public and the weakness of the government's position with the public. That I was also surprised that they actually, like... You know, I don't know if it's a demonstration of arrogance or a demonstration of complete, like out of being completely out of touch. But I was surprised that they were floating that idea publicly in a week where, you know, there is a lot of revelations coming out about the, you know, the toy show, um, the cost of the toy show um, in RT. Like that, some of that is still kind of rumbling along. Mm-hmm. Like it's really not the time to be bringing up, you know, how we're going to now we, we've noticed you're not paying your TV license here. So we're going to take it off you without 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 you having any say in it. Brilliant. Yeah. Like, I mean, is, that, I, is that bad? Is that bad media? Man? Or is that bad kind of political strategy or is that just a we don't care? It's really hard to say. I mean, the, the, the proposal was floated by the Green Party. I mean, basically, there are three options for funding RTE. Of course it was, John. Of course it was. Yeah. Oh, well, you, I probably didn't need to tell people that a terrible idea was floated by the Green Party, but. There are three three basic options for continuing to fund RTE. Either we stick with the TV license, they abolish the TV license and pay for it out of gen- general funds, or they do this kind of mass levy on something else like your broadband or your iPad or your laptop or whatever. Um, and basically the non-TV license ones are both terrible ideas because if you take the money 
straight from government funds, well then RTE is going to be, you're going to take a couple of hundred million from the health budget and give it to uh, Miriam O'Callaghan. She's a lovely woman, but probably not as valuable as nurses. Mm. And then option C is this terrible levy idea where you start charging people who don't even have televisions to fund um, RTE. So the TV license is, is the one they're sticking with because it's the least unpalatable option. But then more and more of us aren't paying it. So I don't think RTE is is in its current form long for this world. Hmm. I, you I, could also, do they still do the RTE guide? You could still release the RTE guide and make the RTE guide be €100 Euro, and then whoever wants to buy it can buy it and see how much money they get. That's a really good idea. You should propose that. You should <laughs> send that up the chain with your Fianna Fáil. Two of them, €200 Euro later. Yeah. yeah. yeah make that. Make it a grand. Make it a grand. Anyone who's yeah. really committed to, to, to funding RTE can buy the RTE guide. Or you know but what? Do you, do you really think it's not long for this world? Is that just you really kind of secretly want, like, are you letting your, what you want get cloud, what you think will happen? It's a very good question. Um, But I don't think so, because I've thought about this a lot. And the difficulty is the TV license is only going one way, in that you you do reach a critical mass where, I mean, and basically, remember this scandal only broke last August or last July, whatever it was. Yeah. Sort of of the tail end of the summer. And immediately TV license revenue started to collapse, like by 15% each month. Uh, so we've only really had four or five months of that. There's still a lot of people who haven't gotten the TV license renewal since the scandal broke. And all those people have been reading headlines about how the, the license has been falling and people aren't paying it as much anymore. And each month, I'm not saying it'll be all of them or even that it'll continue to be a large proportion of them, but some proportion of them each month will say, well, you know what, why should I pay it? There are loads yeah. of people who aren't paying it now. They can't prosecute us all which means the headlines about TV license non-payment will continue to rise. And the government has a problem because you can't prosecute everybody. Yeah. You, can't, you physically can't. I mean, look, the courts are clogged as it is. They can't clog up the court with, with 100,000 TV license um, non-payment issues. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the fall off in license fee revenue is going to continue this year, at least until we reach July. And they've had a full year since the scandal because we, there's still a lot of people who've decided they're not paying it anymore who haven't been asked to renew yet. So, so I, I I think they are going to be in a in a, in a in a continuing difficult position throughout this year. Now we have the news that the government is not going to change the model, at least for the next year, which will make it an election issue. Um, and I'm not entirely convinced that any political party wants to go into the election on a platform of save or he. <laughs> I, I, you know, as platforms go, it doesn't sound like a good one. You're right. No, it doesn't. Um, which means that they'll be in a difficult position after the election as well. And so when I say, what I said was, I don't think RTE is long for this world. I meant in its current form. So I think there's going to have to be a major, there's going to be a major come to Jesus moment with RTE where they're going to have to ditch Montrose or ditch 2FM or ditch Network 2 or something and consolidate into a much smaller, leaner operation. And that's what makes sense as well, because they were designed for a time when they, they were the only two television channels in the country. People who lived in Ireland had two TV channels. Now, even somebody who has access to the basic TV package uh, offered uh, on sort of presat has 70 or 80 TV channels that they can access. I think maybe 34. I don't know what it is. 34, something like that. Yeah. Um, plus Netflix, plus Amazon Prime, plus YouTube Premium, plus all these other options for entertainment, plus DVD players, everything. So they're they're built for a world that doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah. 
and they're they're demanding to continue to exist as if they still dominate the market, and they don't, and they won't. So, so yeah, I, I don't think the future the future is pretty for RTE, and I don't, I won't warn them if I'm right. Well, what they could do with it is a kind of a distraction because you just said they're about elections, and I have a friend who is very, I think, very good um, political kind of um, pundit or political anorak. And this particular friend thinks that there will be a general election on the same day as the local and European elections. Wouldn't that be interesting? Well, I was talking to uh, to, uh, to a government minister a couple of weeks ago, uh, not a senior one, but a government minister who, who thought the election would be in September. But that's two pieces of intel there that we think there'll be an election before the end of this year. Uh, it, it actually... Like, what's the difference between having it in June or having it in September, really? I mean, it's just a recess in the middle. Well, it, it makes it it, 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 this is real political anorak stuff now, but I, yeah. I, I think it actually makes sense to have the general election before the local elections because cool. a lot, because a lot of these Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael TDs who lose their seats will, want, job, will, will want jobs in the Shannon. Yeah. But if you lose a load of seats in the general election and then on the same day you lose, lose a load of councillors, you suddenly may not have the councillors left to elect your defeated TDs to the Shannon. So, I yeah, I, I if I were the government, I would pitch for a general election sooner rather than later because they're still kind of treading water in the polls. This is the thing. Sinn Féin have not yet sealed the deal with the public. I think Sinn Féin have really lost momentum. I, 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 I think that I don't understand why they've come out and said they're supporting the referendum. I, I, I think that they're struggling to carve out a real identity for themselves anymore. I think they've maxed out the support they were going to get. And if anything, it's kind of falling a bit behind. And there's just a momentum that was there that, see, that feels gone. It feels very flat. They also said, have, there's also a huge wedge between them and their base on, on immigration. Yes. Or at least a bit, not if not their whole base, then a big portion of their base on immigration. And I think that's hiding in the weeds because you're afraid to come out and have that fight with your, with your base is a terrible idea. And I think that's what they're doing. And also on this Gaza stuff as well, they have a they have a problem there because there's obviously a portion of their base that is fanatical about this. And now there's this business of Mary Lou heading off to Washington for St. Patrick's Day to associate with the Zionists. Um, so, so like the, the, at which, of course, people for profit and, and the other small left wing parties, that's a godsend to them, you know, because they can do the holier than thou thing. So, so yeah, I think Sinn Féin have uh, far more political problems than the, the opinion polls might suggest. The yeah. other, the other reason why I think the government should hold the general election early is that as of yet, and, and it, they may well be in a position a year from now where where there's still no sort of populist alternative to them on the other flank, mm. but there definitely isn't one now. So, don't if I was the government, I was advising the government. I was saying don't wait for such a thing to get organised, even if it's even if it's only barely competent. With the way the public mood is at the moment, it, there's every possibility that you know, 10 or 12 anti-immigration candidates could take seats in various parts of the country at the moment. And you don't want to give those people time to organise. So if I was advising the government, I would say go at the earliest possible opportunity sometime in late March or early April. But they're not going to do that. But that's that, that's what I would be advising them to do. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I was thinking about like the local and European elections today and I was looking at the, you know, the, the field in uh, Dublin for Europe. And there's no kind of, we'll say, centre-right or a candidate at all. It's a real opening. Hmm. Um, Fianna Fáil selected Barry Andrews. Um, I think Labour running Ayanna Reardon, if I'm 
Is that correct? There's like nine left-wing candidates in the race already. Yeah. Uh, if you count Claire Daly and Reed Smith and the Sinead Gibney for the Social Democrats and uh, it's apparently, but not confirmed, but likely to run. Aon over on um, you know, you you name it. They, there's a there's a, every brand of left winger is cap is is catered for. Kieran Cuff obviously running for the Greens. Um, yeah, there's 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 nothing on the opposite flank, which tells me that there's a big opening in the market there. I've said for some time that I think somebody like Niall Boylan, um, who is for full disclosure somebody I I know and think highly of, um, but I think somebody like Niall Boylan who jumped in the race would 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 make a huge impact. That's an inspired idea now. Uh, you should ask him. <laughs> I am a humble journalist who does not get involved in telling people to run for election. Uh, my political days are behind me. But uh, nonetheless, I can do a bit of punditry and I think somebody like him will be a strong candidate. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we've talked about a lot. We've gone through like six topics and you only shouted on one of them. So it was a good week overall. It, yeah, it was. It was. So we will leave it there. Um, for our listeners who may be exhausted having bounced around those topics. Normally we cover things in a little bit more detail, but there was just so much this week that we wanted to talk about a lot of things. Uh, that won't always be the case. Maybe next week we'll be quiet, but we'll find out. So until then, from Sarah and from me, that was another episode of The Week That Really Was. Thanks so much for listening.